Every year at this time, we jump into the middle of a story that's been told for hundreds of years. It's a story of cities decorating their streets and their sidewalks. It's a story of trees and ornaments and fireplaces, of gifts and wrapping paper and ribbons. There's expectation and wonder and hope, a deep hope that drives us back to the beginning of the story. Because it all starts here. It starts in a manger with a baby and an angel and a scared teenage girl in love with a misunderstood young man who thinks she's worth it. It's about a child who will bring light into darkness, joy into despair, revealing a God who will redeem it all. Who is leaving the glory of heaven to pursue the glory of a cross? A God who is becoming flesh and blood and skin. A God who is loving and offering all people a pathway back into the relationship for which they were created. It's too rich to comprehend and too beautiful to dismiss. This is Christmas. This is the story of stories, and it all starts here. church. Man, I'm so glad that you guys are here today. You guys literally have come over the river and through the woods because everybody showed up today. As a matter of fact, we have some empty seats. Any takers? Now, we're really glad that you're here today to celebrate our risen Savior together to talk about the reason for the season, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen? We come together today because we believe, and we believe in something greater than ourselves. We want to be part of the story that God is laying out in the world to bring the peace and joy to all those around us, and you are doing that this season. And so thank you for coming together today to gather as the body of believers to celebrate Jesus Christ. We want to say welcome to our guests that are here today. Many family members and friends are here, I know, uh, and we are so grateful that you are with us. And of course, if you're in the area and you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to be a part of our Crosspoint family right here to dig into telling the story of Jesus Christ Uh, with us, to use your gift sets in such a way that we would give him all the glory and praise that is due his name, to say, God, you are enough, Jesus Christ has done enough, and I know that you died for me. I want to be a part of that story that you're telling in the world, and jump in with us to tell that story right here and all over the world. Uh, We are going to be in Psalm chapter 95 this morning, and so if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. Uh, All of our texts will be on the screen, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation when we do get there. We'll open up, of course, with uh, our foundation story from Matthew 2. That's where we'll begin, but eventually we'll get to Psalm 95. This is the last week in a series we've called Worship the King, where we're talking about, in our life, what does it look like if I'm really going to worship Jesus Christ? What type of life does it look like if I'm going to really go all in on everything that he is to me? In the first week, we talked about having that life posture of raised hands where we're going to give him glory and celebrate everything that Jesus Christ has done for me. God loved me and you so much that he gave his son uh, for us so that we could be in relationship with him. 
And because we are so grateful for what he's done for us, in gratitude, we bring our gifts to him. The second week, we talked about not only our physical blessings, but the gift sets that we have within us. We come together and bring those as a family. And we are a big family this morning, for sure. But we come together, and all of us use our gift sets that the Holy Spirit's blessed us with to tell the story of Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about pouring out our hearts, the communication with God the Father. Whether you're on a mountain peak in your life or you find yourself in the valley, somewhere in between, God wants to hear from you. He wants to interact with you and your story. He wants to make things right for you and bless you in ways maybe you've never even dreamed of, uh, but you and I are called to interact with God on a very personal level. And today we're going to talk about, as we close out, the, the life posture of kneeling or bowing before Christ the King. What does it mean in my life if I'm called to bow before the King? Well, before we get there, I want to make some time to read the story from Matthew chapter 2. And let's begin in verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Then Herod called for a a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too." After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, One thing is interesting as we drive around town, maybe even in your own home, you have a nativity scene, and in many of those nativity scenes, you'll find the the three wise men. Now, our story dictates that there are three gifts, but not necessarily three wise men. Certainly, whoever they were, they came with servants and other people as well. There were more than just three. But as they searched for this soon-to-be Savior of the world, they took some time to get there. It was the shepherds who actually came to the stable, to the major scene. And in our story, what we discover is Jesus is about two years old when they finally discover where he is in Bethlehem in a house with Mary and Joseph. Now, think about that for a minute. How many of you know a two-year-old? And with the chuckles, I know that you know them well. I mean, think about what a two-year-old does. They want their way. They learn a new word, mine, 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 right? I can do it myself. They have their own game plan, and trying to herd two-year-olds is like herding cats. It's kind of a little crazy. Now, I'm not saying that's the way Jesus was, but nonetheless, the wise men come to the house where Jesus is about two years old, and it says they come in, they lay their gifts at his feet, and they bow down and worship him. 
Because at the end of the day, they know this is the Son of God, the Messiah, the new King who is to be. And today I want to talk a a lot about this life posture of kneeling. What does it mean in our life as followers and believers to bow down before the King? What does that mean? look like? Because in our culture, it's, it's kind of an awkward moment. We really don't do that because we're Americans, right? No one's going to tell me what to do. I don't have to bow to anyone. I have my own agenda, my own thing I'm going to do. The only time in our culture you may see a, a guy take a knee is those really awkward football pictures, right? Where you take a knee with the football helmet and the, it's not really a football pose, but we do that. Or maybe when he's proposing to the girl of his dreams, he might take a knee and ask her to marry him and spend the rest of their life together. Girls, you may see some of that in pictures they take together, but for the most part, people don't bow down. People don't take a knee. It's kind of awkward, but as we look in Scripture from cover to cover, what we see over and over again are people who bow down in surrender and submission to God Almighty, people who recognize the authority of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the King that He truly is. The writer in Psalm 95 collects his thoughts well and puts them down. Let's read this together. Verse 1, he says, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to Him with thanksgiving. Let us sing songs of praise to Him. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. He holds in His hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to Him, for He made it. His hands form the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people. He watches over the flock under His care. The psalmist reminds us of who God is, his omnipotence, his greatness, and we're called to bow down before him. The Hebrew word for the word bow is shaka, not to be confused with shaka khan, which is a throwback to the 80s pop music culture. (laughs) But that word is used about 170 times in scripture, this idea of bowing low, to stoop, to acknowledge the greatness of someone that you are in the presence of. It's this concept of worship, this real posture that many times we take in our own life when we have an earnest plea, an earnest prayer. It's the posture of surrendering to something greater than yourself. Except I don't think that we fully understand the holiness of God. I don't think we as a a people fully grasp everything that God truly is and His holiness. Scripture tells us that human beings, created creatures, cannot look upon God and live. That kind of puzzles my mind. I don't know about you. So what does that look like? What does that mean? You see a story unfold in Exodus chapter 33. Moses and the Israelites have come out of Egypt. They've been in the wilderness for quite some time. They finally find the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And Israel is encamped around the mountain. And Moses goes up to get the law. Exactly, God, how do you want us to live? And he goes up to have a conversation with God the Father. 
while he's on the mountain, this interchange creates a a moment for Moses to say, God, I want to look upon you. And God says, you cannot look at me and live. However, because you're my chosen one, I will let you look at me as I pass by. You can see the very tail end of me. And the text says that he closes Moses in a cleft of the rock as he passes by. Moses is up there for several days until he finally goes down to the people. And it says when he gets to the bottom that his face is aglow because of how incredibly awesome and holy God truly is. As a matter of fact, he had to wear a veil because people down below could not even look at the face of Moses. It shone so bright. How holy is God? In Jerusalem, on the Temple Mount, in the Temple proper, where worship was conducted, several priests had many duties that they attended to, and there was one high priest Lots of worship happened in the courtyard area of the temple. There was the holy place and then the holy of holies. And in the holy place, many priests had duties to perform in that part of the building. But there was one big piece of material called the veil, and it separated the holy of holies from the holy place. And in the holy of holies is where God's presence existed, where the Ark of the Covenant was. It was covered in gold, and within the Ark was a bowl of manna, Aaron's rod, and the Ten Commandments. It represented God's physical presence on earth. And one time a year, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go back into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, in order to ask for cleansing from the nation, for the nation and their sins. Except for that one day when he went back there, the other priest would actually tie a rope around his waist in case he caught a glimpse of God or did something that was not appropriate in the Holy of Holies and they heard a thud and they would simply pull him out with a rope. That was the plan. God was so holy, they took it incredibly seriously. And I think sometimes in our busyness of life that we forget about how incredibly awesome God truly is. Because when we entertain the idea of how holy he truly is, It simply commands us to take a knee, to surrender to the creator of the universe. You know, in Scripture, there's not a place where God says, you need to bow down to me. Now, he talks to his people, and he says, look, you're to worship no other gods, no false gods. Don't don't worship any graven image. But because simply of who God is, it causes us to worship. It causes us to have that life position of kneeling, of surrendering to Him. Because see, when we realize how glorious that God truly is, we want to put Him in the highest place, and we want to take the lowest because of all that He's done for us in our life. I mean, what does the psalmist say again in verse 6 there in Psalm 95? Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us Kneel before the Lord, our God, our Maker. This series has been to remind us as a people that we're called to live every single day of our life, not just in the holiday, not just on Sunday, but every single day to live a worshipful posture in life, one that celebrates but then surrenders to God Almighty. We've been called to to lift up our hands, to bring our gift sets, to pour out our hearts, and now to surrender in kneeling to the one who is the great I am. 
and we show gratitude for Him by the way we live our life in worship each and every day. Because He indeed is the King of kings. He is indeed the Lord of lords. He is Emmanuel with us. And we worship Him in such a way. This morning, I want to give you three ideas of where you might be in your life journey as you consider kneeling and the posture of kneeling and that, that life posture, if you will, that spirit of surrendering to God. Maybe in your own life, you're kneeling in pursuit. You're after God and who He is, and you've got some questions on your agenda. Uh, like a character that we're introduced to in Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. We call him the rich young ruler. Uh, He understands the authority of Jesus Christ. He has followed him, has heard him speak on occasion, and now he has a personal question for Jesus. I had never read this part in the story, although I've read the story many, many times. But it says in verse 17, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'd never seen the part where the man knelt in front of Jesus Christ. He is, in a way, acknowledging the authority and magnificence of who Jesus the Christ is. And maybe you're in a spot in your own life where where you're not actually fully committed to Jesus. You've got some questions. He's entertained you for a little while, and you're thinking, is this someone that I truly want to follow? But you know in your own heart that you haven't fully pursued Jesus Christ in every piece of your life. Maybe you're confused by listening to what some other religions have to offer, or maybe you've got a friend group or a family group that believes they have some wise wisdom to, 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 to tell you and to pass on to you. Maybe now, this holiday season, this moment when we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the King, maybe now is the time that you kneel and you ask the God that you are questioning to reveal truth to you. What must I do, Jesus of Nazareth? But I want to warn you, if you find yourself in that moment in life, get ready. Because the minute you draw near to God, Scripture says that He will draw near to you. And He will reveal truth to you. Maybe it's time for some of us in this room to adopt the posture of saying, you know what, I don't know everything. And I'm going to submit to the reign of Jesus Christ in my life because I do know that He knows all. Maybe in your own life, it's, it's kneeling in repentance in your own life. You've got to work through some things that you know, you, you carry, it's a weight within you, it's a burden that you, that you carry. Because Church, day to day, we we do things that disappoint God, do we not? We make poor decisions each and every day that break the heart of God. Maybe it's things in your life that have hurt you. Maybe it's things that you have done or said that have hurt someone else. And Christmas seems like a magnifier for those moments in life, don't it? The holidays seem to pull both sides in. If you're at the mountain peak and you're having a really great moment in life, the holiday seems to accentuate that, to highlight that. On the other hand, if you've got the burden that you've got in your heart and it's weighing you down, it's a tough time. It seems that the holidays make that even worse. 
for you. If you've done something maybe against God and you know it, or you've done something that hurts someone else, someone that you cared for, the holiday season tends to magnify that weight that you and I carry. Some of you may be smiling on the outside, but on the inside, it's a little different story. Maybe, maybe you grieve because you've done something that, that hurts someone very close to you. you. You've let yourself down one more time because you've caved into that temptation. You've not done what you know God's called you to do and how to live. There's a story that kind of shows that example for us in Luke chapter 5. It's a story where Jesus interacts with his disciples. They know who Jesus the Christ is. He is the Messiah, this incredible man of God. Except the disciples are fishing. That's what they do for a living. They know what's going on. And so they're out on the lake all night long, throwing their nets out, not catching anything. And Jesus walks up on the shore and he says, Hey guys, why don't you cast your net on the other side? Try the other side. There might be some fish over there. Now, because of who I am, I kind of resonate with Peter a little bit. So in my mind, I'm thinking how Peter might have answered Jesus in that moment. Hey Jesus, I'm the professional uh, fisherman here. You are a carpenter. Why don't you go build a table that I will put my fish on when they're ready? You can imagine that exchange. But Peter, knowing who Jesus is, he is my rabbi, he's the Messiah, he's a great teacher. All right, guys, let's put the nets on the other side just to placate. And so they do, and the text says they catch more fish than they can handle. Eventually, the boats get to shore, they pull the fish ashore. Peter jumps out of the boat, and he's face-to-face with Jesus Christ. And the text says, with a humble heart, Peter says this, He fell on his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Peter wants to confess that he hasn't always made the right decisions. And this is one of those moments. He's got the burden on him to repent. He he wants to be face to face with that Savior and to hear the words, Don't worry, Peter, I forgive. Let's move forward in our relationship. There are moments that are beautiful, and this is one. Because what we understand from the story is true for you and I as well. Jesus never turns away a sinner with a repentant heart. Jesus wants a relationship with you no matter what you think you've done. No matter how far you believe that you have strayed from a relationship with God the Father, Jesus Christ says, you come back, I've taken care of everything, you are forgiven. There is nothing you can do that would separate you and God the Father. And some of you came today. It's maybe a surprise that you're even in a church building. Maybe this is one of the few times a year that you come through those doors. Maybe you walked in this morning thinking, man, the roof is going to fall on my head. Maybe you walked through those doors thinking, everyone here looking at me knows what I've been up to. It doesn't matter what you've done, though. Because Jesus, the King of Kings, loves you. And he wants to be a part of your life. And he wants you to have enough gratitude in your life that you will commit to him as well. 
It's time for some of us just to kneel before the king and ask for forgiveness. And finally, it's some, for some of us, it's, it's the idea of kneeling in submission. That it's not about me, it's about Jesus Christ. That's what our purpose is, is to raise his story up, to lift him on high. And for the first time, maybe this has crossed your mind. Why? Because you, like me, love to be in control. You love to work out the details. You like to make things go in the direction you were thinking. And some of us have been choked out by the world. Some of us have been choked out by temptation that's come along our way. Some have been choked just by the selfishness that we have in our life. And we will not allow, for whatever reason, God to bless us like he wants so desperately to bless us in his son, Jesus Christ. If you are like me, so many times I scream, I want my way. Some of us, God has been reaching out to for years. And what we don't understand is that God will give you the story of your dreams much better than you could ever plan for yourself. God wants to bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. He wants to heap blessing upon you, but we keep pushing him away for some reason. You see, Jesus was born of Mary in a manger, but he was born to die for you and for me. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become God's righteousness. What a beautiful love story for you and for I. Oh, what an incredible moment for us to realize the, the depth of the gift that God has given us in his son, Jesus Christ. There is a moment where Jesus himself is in submission. Luke chapter 22. Jesus is with the disciples and they're in the upper room sharing the last Passover meal that they will share together. It's very dark outside, late at night. They go outside the Jerusalem walls to pray together. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And once they get there, Jesus asks his disciples to pray with him fervently through the night. And then Jesus removes himself by himself to another portion of the garden. And in that moment, Jesus, being Jesus, knows exactly what is coming. And he kneels down, and he says, Jesus knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Do you hear? The king of kings is actually saying, I want to be in submission to the Father. I want to do what you've called me to do in my own life. I want to be everything that you've planned, God. Not my will. It's not about me. It's about you, God, and you being glorified. Some of us need to make this our prayer in life. God, not my will, not what I want in life, but God, what you want in life. And what we have to understand is that kneeling to pray will give you strength to stand. Kneeling to pray will give you the strength to stand. And for some of us in our life, it's time that we raise our hands and we celebrate who God is and what he's done for us. Maybe for some of us in this room, it's time for us to stop being selfish and looking after me, but to bring our gifts to God, our gift sets. Maybe for some of us, it's time to pour out our hearts to God, to to let him know what's going on in our life, whether we're on the mountain peak or in the valley. 
And we embrace all that God wants to do for us, even in those difficult moments. Maybe for us, it's a worshipful, surrendering life posture in kneeling to the King of Kings, Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God, the chosen Messiah, the anointed one of God, who is Jesus the Christ. It is time for us, church, to worship not just on Sunday, but every single day for the gift of Jesus Christ. And I've got a little secret for you this morning. You can kneel now, or you can kneel later. Because Scripture tells us that we all will kneel before the great King one day. Because He has conquered death. He has conquered everything. And everything is in subjugation to Him. Paul tells us, as he writes to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, Jesus humbled Himself in appearance to God, in obedience to God. And died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is the chosen Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus wants to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. He is the greatest gift that you and I will ever receive any Christmas season. So this morning is the challenging question for all of us. Are we willing every day of our life to lift him on high? Are we willing to truly worship the king? Are we willing to raise our hands and give him the accolades that are due him? Are we willing to communicate with him by pouring out our heart? Are we willing to give him everything that we have in our life because we know that it all comes from him anyway? Are we willing to take a knee and submit to him and say, God, it is your plan, not mine. I want to be a part of everything that you are doing. How glorious is your name? That is what this season is all about. It's the idea that you and I have already won the battle. If you read the end of the book, you know that Jesus Christ has already won everything. And when we find ourselves in his shadow, in his light, kneeling before him, then we too get to win the battle. This morning as we sing this song, I I want you to consider where you're at in life. And I'm going to invite the praise team back to the stage at this time. As we sing this song, think about in your own heart of hearts where you find yourself and how you are worshiping Jesus the Christ in your own heart, in your own life. What changes do you need to make? I will say that there may be some here this morning that have not been baptized into Christ, who have not made that public confession to say, you know what, Jesus is the real deal. He is the King of Kings, and I want to publicly say I will serve Him the rest of my life. And so today, we have the baptistry waters ready out on the commons, and maybe today, is that's the best Christmas present you could possibly give yourself, is to say, I believe, and I want to live a life that screams, I believe. Church, are you with me? You want to worship the king? Let's stand together and do just that.